This is the second week of a series called I Love Church. Somebody say, I love church. I tricked you. I got you to say it. <laughs> but each week of this series, we're examining a different aspect of church. And, and by the way, church is a good thing. Can I get an amen this morning? Church is a good thing. Church is God's idea. In fact, it's something that he himself established so that we wouldn't have to go through this Christian life on our own. Come on, tell your neighbor, don't try this on your own. Amen. Absolutely love church. I could not imagine my life without church. In fact, my favorite chicken is church's chicken. That's how much I love the house of God. But it's so important for every Christian to belong to a church. Even if it's not this church, everybody don't have to like us, but you ought to be in a church because every child of God belongs in a local congregation. Amen? Amen. There are blessings, in fact, blessings in the Bible that you can't even receive unless you're connected to a local church. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But in this series, we're looking at some of the many wonderful blessings of the local church. But we're also dealing with the ugly side. Y'all right. know we got to deal with the ugly side in church. Because if we don't, y'all going to talk about it at lunch anyway. Come on. <laughs> Last week, my message was, I love church, but I hate the hypocrites. And we talked about the problem of hypocrisy in the church of people talking like the Lord, but not walking like the Lord, right? Uh, and we talked about that last week. And what I'm really doing is I'm talking about the value of the church, but I'm also dealing with the reasons people give for not going to church. And today, my message is this. I love church, but I'm against organized religion. I don't believe in organized religion. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Maybe some of y'all said that. I, but, but here's the thing. I'm hearing that more and more and more than ever before in conversations with people who don't go to church. Okay? I don't believe, I believe in God, but I don't believe in organized religion. Some people might say it like this, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Maybe you've heard it put that way, but it's really the same mindset, the same mentality. So today, I want to address the issue of organized religion, and maybe you're listening to this message, and you're against organized religion. Let me just say that I somewhat agree with you. I'm completely opposed to some types of organized religion, and I'll talk more about that later. So we do have some common ground, but I have to start by saying this. God is organized. In fact, God is very organized. The universe he created is proof that God cares deeply about organization. One of the incredible things that science has observed is that there are universal laws that are absolutely true across the entire universe. The laws of physics, for example, are the same on Earth as they are on Mars. They're the same on Mars as they are in other solar systems. These are established laws that govern the way the universe operates. Chemistry is the same way. And you see, there's this enormous lie that science has somehow replaced God. And that could not be further from the truth. This generation is being taught that you have to believe in God or believe in science, that you have to choose one or the other, right? 
yo creo en Dios, no, no, yo creo en la ciencia, no, it's not one or the other, you can believe in both because God is the author of science. Uh-huh. Sir Francis Bacon, the founding father of modern science, who developed the scientific method, this is what he said. He said, a little science estranges a man from God, but a lot of science brings him back. Isn't that interesting? And maybe that's the problem with our education system today. We're giving kids a little bit of science. But we're not giving them the full, the full picture that draws them into the majesty and the dominion of our creator. I agree with Sir Francis Bacon, not just because he has bacon in his name. I agree with him because I did my doctoral thesis on the correlation between God and science when we were in Wilmington. Uh, the more I study science, the more I am utterly convinced that there is a divine designer of the universe. Because the universe is far too organized, far too structured, far too regulated for it to be the result of some random cosmic accident. Educators today in all levels, but especially in our universities, are extremely dishonest in how they teach science and history. Today, what we call misinformation, we used to just call you lying. <laughs> they neglect to teach that virtually all of the founding fathers of the scientific revolution were not only devout Christians, but they attributed their knowledge of science directly to their relationship and understanding of God. And they believed deeply that the two could not be separated. They understood that God was a God of order. And because they understood that, they went out searching for order in the solar system and searching for order in the universe. How many of you have heard of the laws of planetary motion? Okay. All right. Yeah, some of y'all pay attention to school. That's all right. Few of you. These laws are so universal that the orbits of distant planets and other solar, not our solar system, other solar systems can be calculated precisely to the thousandth of a second because those laws of motion never change. They never change. Do you know who discovered the laws of planetary motion? A guy named Johann Kepler. And this is what Kepler said. Science is thinking God's thoughts after him. Science is discovering the mind of God. Kepler also wrote a psalm of praise. Again, this was a man of science, a father of the scientific revolution, a hero of modern science. Listen to what this great scientist wrote. He said, ye heavens, sing his praises. Sun, moon, and planets glorify him in your unspeakable language. Praise him, celestial harmonies, and all ye who can comprehend them. And thou, my soul, praise thy creator. It is by him and in him that all exists. This is the man who discovered the laws of planetary motion. And he discovered them because he understood that they were created by God and organized and structured and sustained by our almighty creator. 
When God created the universe, he created a universe with order and with structure. Our planet is proof that God is an organized God. The more science discovers about the earth, the more it reveals the absolute miracle that life on earth is. We're in what they call the Goldilocks zone of the solar system. If we were a little bit closer to the sun, it would be burn, baby, burn. It would be ashes to ashes and dust to dust. If we were a little bit further away, we would all be freezing. We were in the perfect place. God put us precisely where we needed to be to sustain life. Did you know that all the other planets in our solar system function just to keep Earth exactly where it needs to stay? God is an amazing creator. He structured the, all the other planets. I've always wondered, what is the point of all these other planets? God put them there to protect us and to sustain life on earth. It is just incredible what science is discovering. They work, us, they work to keep us in perfect orbit around the sun. Jupiter protects our planet from over 10,000 asteroids every year. Incredible. Mercury, Venus, and Mars keep us in a stable rotation. The Earth remains at a perfect distance from the sun while orbiting at a speed of 67,000 miles an hour. And you thought you drove fast to church this morning. <laughs> in the Earth's 365-day, 5-hour, 48-minute, and 45.51-second round trip around the sun is accurate to a thousandth of a second. Sir Isaac Newton said, gravity explains the motions of the planet, but it cannot explain who sets the planets in motion. It's all part of God's order and design. Not only is God organized when it comes to the universe, he's also organized when it comes to the human body. There are 37.2 trillion, trillion cells in your body. And all of them work together to keep you alive. In every single one of those 37.2 trillion cells, there is DNA with over 30 billion pieces of code that tells each and every one of those cells
God organized the universe, He organized our planet, He organized your body, and He's organized the church. When you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus was organized in the way he did ministry. He had 12 disciples, and he gave jobs to each of them. For example, Matthew was the secretary. He was a tax collector. See, he was used to keeping records and making notes. So he recorded and wrote down everything that Jesus said and did. That's why Matthew is first in the New Testament. Going back to the very beginning of the church, that was tradition. Matthew was written first, and then Mark, and then Luke, and then John. He took notes. He was a minute keeper. He was a board secretary. And then Judas was in charge of the money. Oh, if you've ever had a friend stab you in the back, don't feel bad. It happened to Jesus, too. There's one in every crowd. Peter, James, and John, they were his inner circle. They were his prayer warriors, his prayer partners. Jesus was organized in his ministry. Even when he did miracles, he did them in, or in an orderly fashion. In Luke 9, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he had them divided and structured and organized into groups of 50 and 100. Everything Jesus did, he did in an orderly fashion because God is organized and he wants the church to be organized. I believe in organized religion because it's better than the alternative. <laughs> it's a lot better than chaos. Amen. We ought to be organized otherwise there would be confusion and disorder. 1 Corinthians 14, we just read it. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The people of God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament were organized together, and God desires for every believer, every one of us, to be connected with other believers, and when we organize, we're effective. So when it comes to organized religion, the problem is not when religion is organized. The problem is when religion is organized around anything other than Jesus. That's where we get into trouble. Because here's the harsh reality. Anything not centered around Jesus actually belongs to the devil. Oh, Pastor, how can you say that? I, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. He said in Matthew 12, 30, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. It doesn't matter what kind of sign you put on the door or name tag you wear. If you're not actively working with Jesus, he said, you're working against me. First John 5, 18 says, as we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. What does that mean? When it's organized around Jesus, it's good. It brings life. When it's not, it brings death. When it's organized around him, it belongs to him. But when it's organized around anything other than Jesus, it's actually on the opposing side. I think about all the atrocities committed in the name of religion. Did you know that there have been more than 31,000 terrorist attacks in the name of Islam since September 11th? The Center for the Study of Political Islam estimates that since its inception, over 270 million people have been killed in the name of Islam. Some have estimated that number to be as high as 1.2 Billion people have been murdered in the name 
of organized religion. In recent decades, Muslims have killed four million of their own people in the Middle East. I don't like that organized religion. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. If it's organized around Jesus, it brings life. If it's organized around man, if it's organized around false religion, it's going to bring death. Church, it got quiet. I'll take a cough instead of an amen. I'll just take something. Hallelujah. I receive it. <laughs> if it's centered around anything but Jesus, it's going to bring death and destruction. I, I say this unashamedly, okay? The God of Islam is Satan himself. I, I don't buy into this many paths lead to God. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So I can't sit here and lie to you because I'm going to stand before God and give an account of everything that I say to you. Jesus is the only way. I didn't write it. God said it, and he settled it. I'm just telling you what I know. Okay, because I was a heathen just like y'all. Until I heard the word of God and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Truth is truth. Come on, y'all. It's tight, but it's right. Amen. Amen. This is yes, this is no. Y'all connect with me somewhere. <laughs> Listen, it's easy to criticize other religions who organize themselves around false gods. But let me talk about Christianity for a little while. Let's make it personal because Revelation 3.9 refers to something called the synagogue of Satan. When Jesus made this statement, it hit very, very close to home for the Christians of that day. Because in the early days of Christianity, you know in Jerusalem, the Christians went and prayed and worshipped in the temple every day. And all throughout the world, they would gather in the synagogues and worship the Lord. So, so Jesus is talking about a, a group of people that look like a church, but a church they ain't. People who claim to follow Jesus but come nowhere near the teachings of Jesus and the heart of God. Amen. When you hear the term church of Satan, I guarantee that most of you are thinking about pentagrams and Ouija boards and incantations and witches' brews, right? But truth be told, there are a lot of churches of Satan out there that have crosses on the building, Christ in the name, and Bibles in the pews. And I submit to you this morning that the most despicable of all organized religion is when a group of people claim to love Jesus, but in reality, they don't even know him. They claim to love God, but they hate their fellow man. They claim to serve the Lord, but they refuse to stand on the truth of his word. They claim to do the work of God, but they're really in it for themselves. Mm. You can call yourself a Christian, you can call yourself a church, but if Jesus is not at the very center, if he is not the foundation of everything that you do, then you are not what you claim to be. That's right. Titus 1 says this, such people claim to know God, but they deny him by the way they live. When anything takes priority above Jesus, church is in trouble. When politics, oh, 
Where can I hide from those darts and daggers? Let me hide behind Brendan's guitar. I saw, sorry, brother. Amen. When the pastor becomes a political pimp and, start, and starts preaching a political platform instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ, church is in trouble. Because Jesus is not coming back on Air Force One. I don't care who's in the White House, whoever it is, when Jesus comes back, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess of those in heaven, of those in the earth, of those in Washington, D.C., of those in Raleigh, North Carolina, of those in Goldsboro, North Carolina. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory, not the Democrats, not the Republicans, not the unaffiliated, not the libertarians, not that they matter. <laughs> to the glory of God the Father, because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and nations rise and nations fall at His word. So you can take your politics. And keep them in the car. <laughs> when anything comes above Jesus, church is in trouble. Amen. When the pastor comes before Jesus, Amen. when you got your Bible in your hand and you got to ask the pastor and you got to decide which one's right, my Jesus. When the church becomes a social club and not a hospital for the perishing, church is in trouble. When it's about what I want and what I like and my preference and how you make me feel and oh baby you look so good and you are so precious and you are so special. You were just, you look so good today, and I'm so glad you came to church, and I, I just love you, when you like me, please like me, please be my best friend, I just want to make you feel good, I, I just want you to come, I'll tell you anything, if you just come back next week, I just pray, I just want you to feel good. Amen. I'll make you a promise, as your pastor, at least, till you leave today. That I, I solemnly swear that I will come in here every Sunday and I will not make you feel good about yourself. <laughs> because it's not my job. If you want to feel good about yourself, get the little poster of the kitten hanging from the branch that says, hang in there. <laughs> and you just look at that little kitty cat hanging onto that branch and you just be encouraged that that little kitty cat. It's going to hang in there. He definitely didn't fall to his death after they took that picture, I promise. <laughs> Listen, my job is to comfort the afflicted, but to afflict the comfortable. All right. All right. Anyway, I was preaching good till y'all got me off track. <laughs> when you put Jesus first, you never put the lost last. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That was his priority, and that's our priority. 
Jesus said in John 13, 5, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. How do I know that you love God? Because you love your fellow man. Amen. When people are in need, do you help them? Or do you act like you got a phone call and walk, walk out of the room? Mm. Let me tell you why organized religion is so good. Because we're better together. We're better together. Come on, tell somebody. We're better together. Come on, say it like you mean it, like you know it. We're better together. Ephesians 2.19, this is beautiful. It says, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. This is not just an organization. This is not a social club. This is a family. Y'all look around. We got a beautiful family. Amen. Amen. It's like homemade fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts, but I love it. I love our church family. Hallelujah. We're members of God's household. God's got a crazy family, and I love it. All right. <laughs> Do you know the basic definition of a household is people who go through life together? As members of God's household, we're in this thing together. Because we're stronger together. We're better together. You know, people like to say, and they sound so spiritual, they say God will never give you more than you can handle. But that's not true. There will be times in life when you will face way more than you can handle on your own. That's why the Bible says in Galatians, bear one another's burdens. Because sometimes it's too heavy for me to go through this by myself. We need each other. All of us face burdens that we can't bear alone. That's why it's important that we organize together so that we can hold each other up and walk through this life together. I wish I could tell you that the minute you get saved, all your wildest dreams will come true and all your problems will disappear. No, you're going to have the same problems. But you got a power and you got a strength and you got a family backing you up so you don't have to face those problems on your own. Hallelujah. Listen, the devil will do everything he can to divide us. The devil wants nothing more than to keep you out of church, to keep your family out of church, to keep your kids out of church. Because the enemy knows that we're stronger together. Amen. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, that scripture was more for us than it was for them because his return is a whole lot closer now than it was then. The signs of the times are falling into place like crazy. So many scriptures, so many prophecies have been fulfilled. I don't see a single prophecy in scripture that has to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back. That means that it is so important that we continue to meet together as believers. Amen. You know what else comes from organized religion? Accountability. Yes. Most of the time when people say I'm against organized religion, it's for one of two reasons. One, they've been hurt in church. Anybody been hurt in church? I raise my hand. Amen. I throw up a leg too. <laughs> Sheep bites hurt, y'all. Church hurts deep hurt. I've been bit by some sheep. 
They are very painful, but they are not fatal. You don't have to die from a sheep bite. But a lot of people stay away from church because they've been hurt by church. But the other reason is because they're living in sin. And they don't want to come to face to face with that conviction. Church is God's plan for accountability. Oh, I remember when I was a kid. Whew. Every time I came into church in the presence of God, boy, that conviction be hitting me hard. All those wrong attitudes, those wrong thoughts, those mean things I did. Boy, I just, I didn't even want to, I was like a, putting all fours at the door, like you have to push me in. I didn't even want to go in the room, but I knew once I got in the room, God had me. I get in that atmosphere of praise and worship. I get into the preaching of the word of God. That conviction, would the Holy Spirit would do surgery on me. He'd cut me. He'd take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And so many times, and I, I told this to somebody recently because they were getting a lot of hate because they were sharing the gospel and sharing Jesus. Sometimes the people who fight you the most are the closest to saying yes to Jesus. That's a word for somebody. Don't you give up. Amen. Don't you give up fighting the good fight of faith. Don't you give up inviting somebody to church. Don't you give up praying for that loved one. Don't you give up. You keep pressing because the harder they fight, the harder the Holy Ghost is working on their hearts and the closer they may be to saying yes. Amen. Mm. That's the power of organized religion. Amen. Sometimes we need a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside us and challenge us and just say with all the love in their heart, why are you being so stupid right now? Amen. The Bible puts it like this. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Amen. Hallelujah. And here's something else. There's an anointing here when we gather together. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be there in the midst of them. That means that when we come together in the name of Jesus, there is a special presence of God. There is a special visitation from heaven, the manifest presence of God that comes into this place when we gather together in the name of Jesus. There is a place in worship that you can't get to all by yourself. Now, I can get into some deep worship. I can get, 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 get happy all by myself. I can for all day long by myself. But there is a depth of worship in the anointing and the presence and the spirit of God that is a whole nother level when the people of God gather together and worship him in one accord and heaven touches earth. You, you can't go that deep on by yourself. There is an anointing for healing and deliverance you can't experience isolated and alone. According to the Bible, church leaders of organized religion are actually vessels of God's healing. James 5.14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. There's power when we come together. Amen. And here's the last thing. Here's the power of organizing together. The power to make a difference in other people's lives. Each of us on our own can do a little bit. 
But all of us together, oh, we could do a lot, church. We could do a lot. This week we've been compiling our annual report from this past year. And it's amazing the things we can do when we work together. In this last year we've seen recorded 62 people come to Christ. We've baptized 39 of them. And I say we because I wasn't even here for one of those services. Because all of us are better than any of us. Our Sunday morning live streams reached 5,379 people. Woo, what will we do if they all came to church on a Sunday? <laughs> Hallelujah. We'd meet outside. Turn that gold microphone all the way up. <laughs> Our podcast reached people in the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, Mexico, Australia. Good day, mate. Praise the Lord, mate. <laughs> New Zealand, the Czech Republic, Croatia, India, the Philippines, Brazil, Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, and Saudi Arabia. Amen. Our food bank gave away thousands and thousands of pounds of food, more than we've ever given away before. We prepared and served 878 warm meals at Tommy's Foundation to those in need. And listen to this, y'all. I get real happy about this one. Our Generation Kids Church team right here in this building provided 1,562 hot meals for children on Sunday mornings. Oh, I get happy about that one. So I want to say thank you to everybody who serves in Generation Kids, especially because you guys are on the front lines. You guys are doing it. And if you're not involved in Kids Church, what are you waiting for, man? That's where the action's at. Right. Get involved today. Sign up. If you don't sign up, I'll sign you up. <laughs> you get a name tag in the mail. Generation Kids, volunteer, because you've been voluntold that you're going to serve next week. Listen, that's where the action is. Did you know that 80% of Christians in the United States come to Christ before the age of 14? 80%. Eight out of ten become Christians before they turn 14 years old. That is the biggest mission field in this nation is kids. That makes me want to go reach out to every kid in Goldsboro. I don't even like kids. I mean, if I keep talking about it, I'm going to volunteer in Kids Church next week. You guys are making an impact. I mean, just two months ago at Candy Palooza, we had 99 kids on a Sunday morning. And, I, and everybody's clapping except the volunteers who had to work back there with 99 kids. Your eyes are twitching. I'm like, oh, I don't want to think about it. But we broke every record last year for kids ministry. So you guys keep up the good work. And we have, I, I can't talk about it too much. And maybe my wife will talk about it a little bit. But we have some of the most precious, precious kids come through these doors every week. You have no idea the impact you're making in some of these little ones' lives. My wife was ministering to a kid recently of just a Sweet little girl. So loving and so kind. And when it came time for snack time, she took her snack and she was just clenching it like this. 
And she was playing all the games and participating in everything. And she said, she said, honey, why, why are you holding your snack? She said, I'm scared somebody's going to take it from me. We're reaching some of the most wonderful children Amen. who when they come through those doors, for some of them, this is the only safe place. That's right. This is the only safe house. This house is the only safe house that they're in all week. And it breaks my heart. Amen. We talked about it last Wednesday night and the Wednesday night before. And, and that's the story of our church. Some of our ministry leaders, some of our volunteers, some of the people who are leading ministries in our kids' wing, that was their story. That's where they grew up. And a church, a pastor, loved on them and said, God's got a better life for you. Amen. And I thank God every day that God gives us that opportunity. But you know, Sunday morning's not enough. We're gonna we're gonna do more this year. All right. We're gonna ramp it up, y'all. I'm telling you, God's been stirring this in my heart for the last six months to the point where I'm just gonna explode if I don't talk about it. And I've got to meet with some ministry leaders before I can tell you any. My wife's telling me to shut up, she give me to shut up. <laughs> You're going to hear a lot more about this soon after we have some meetings and do some more planning. But God has given me a burden. Again, I don't even like kids. They scare me. I feel like kids can read minds. You know what I mean? They, but God's given me such a burden for them. I know that he is stirring up something in our church. And especially the last two Wednesday nights when I've just heard our church talk and all the ideas and all the burdens. We're going to get radical this year. We're going to, mm, that's all I'm going to say. You got to stay tuned for more information. You got to come back for next Sunday's episode of As the Lord Works. I'm not going to drop this mic. It's too expensive. But listen, all of us are better than any of us. When we come together in the name of Jesus, we could do exponentially more than any of us could do on, on our own. Bible says that one can chase a thousand, but two can put 10,000 to flight. There's power, power in the name of Jesus. There's power when we come together in Jesus' name. Did you know every week in the Philippines, pastors are being trained because of you? Because every month we send money to support Galen and Dickie Hertwig, who lead the Asia-Pacific Bible college who are training and teaching Bible. Some of them who before they came to Bible college couldn't read or write. Some of them who didn't even have access to the word of God. I can't imagine being a pastor and not even owning a Bible. Amen. And we're making a difference on the other side of the world. Did you know every week Mark Randall in East Africa, in Zambia and the surrounding nations is going into the prisons and preaching to five and ten are coming to Christ. Did you know he's going into remote villages in Zambia and people are hearing the name of Jesus for the very first time? And they're putting their faith in that name and they're being healed in that name and they're being delivered in that name? Because you helped send him there. There is power when we come 
together. Because all of us are better than any of us. I believe in organized religion because I believe in the one who organized it. Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can we just stand and praise the name of Jesus this morning? Can we give God thanks for every victory, for everything that he's done, for everything that he's doing? Lord, we praise you and we lift up your mighty name that is above every name. God, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory. Lord, in you we live and move and have our being. God, may everything we say and everything we do glorify you. Blaise Pascal, a famous scientist, he founded the science of hydronics. He, he founded calculus. Sorry, high school students. He invented the barometer that we use to predict hurricanes and, and measure the weather and predict thunderstorms. This is what Blaise Pascal said. He said, there's a God-shaped void in the heart of every man that no one and no thing can fill except Jesus Christ. So I want to ask my wife to come and lead us in prayer, but I want you to take this to heart. Let God fill every void in your life today. Amen. Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for this old-time word. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the church that we can come and we can honor and we can celebrate. We can come together in freedom. Lord, I thank you, Father God, for that opportunity. Lord, I thank you that we can freely serve you. Lord, that we can make that decision on our own, Father. And Lord, I pray right now over the church. Lord, I thank you that it continues to unite together, Father. God, let us be a church that changes our community, that changes the nations, Father. Lord, that we are making an impact for you, Jesus. That we're not a social club and we're not a status church, God, but we are a life-changing church because, Father, you use us to reach the lost, to reach the broken, Father. God, you use us, Father, to be mightily for your kingdom, Lord. God, use our church to be that refuge in the darkness, Father. Let us not ever lose sight of who you are, Lord, and who you've called us to be. Let us not ever turn away a child or an adult that needs you, Father, just because of the way they look or the way that they act. God, let us always have a heart that says, come in for warmth. Come in for a meal, Lord. God, let us not ever lose sight of how you are because, Jesus, you love everybody. From the top to the bottom to the middle to the north, the south, the east, and the west, God, you love everybody. You love children. You said, come as you are. I want the kids to come to me. To me. God, let us not lose sight of children. Let us not walk past them and think that they're not like sponges. But God, use us to help bring education to them, Father. God, use us to minister to them and to show them who Jesus Christ is, Father, and the love that you have, Lord. God, use us to be the hands and the feet of you, Lord. That when people enter into this building, God, that they know that your presence is here. They see the passion in the people, Father. God, they see the people that want to make a difference, Lord. And not occupy a pew, Father. Lord, they see passion. They feel fire. They feel your anointing, God. They feel your peace. They feel one body because we are united, Father. 
for the need, for the needy, Lord. For those who are lacking, God, for those that have been blessed, God, give us a heart, Lord, to help those that are in need, Lord. Not to hoard it up, Father, but to help those that need it, Lord. To be a helping hand that helps people step up. God, use us, Lord. Give us eyes to see the need, Lord. Give us the wisdom, Father. Give us the education. And God, I thank you, Father, that you're sitting in the resources that we need, God, to make a dent, to make a huge impact into the generations that are coming up, Father. God, that you're sending us teachers to help with tutoring, Father. That you're sending us more people to help feed the kids and to help them at Tommy's on Tuesday nights, Father. And to help take people to rehab, God. God, to help marriage counseling, Father. Lord, to help bring the family unit back together to be one. Because the enemy is after our families. Lord, I thank you, Father, that right now you're putting back a family that the enemy has tried to destroy. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, where you have come in and you have tried to destroy this family unit. I command you to get your hands off of them. Father, I thank you right now that even when they go home, that there is a house of peace in the name of Jesus. That that argument, that arguing and that toxicity that is being removed from that household, Father. And Lord, that those kids are going to grow up where you are the center of their home. And Lord, that you're being with a single mom right now that has grown weary, that has done all she knows how to do, Father. God, this morning, I thank you that you are renewing strength. God, that you're giving peace, that you're giving wisdom. And Lord, that you're sending a village of people from our church that is going to help bring resources and help bring support, Lord, where they need it, Father, to help bring encouragement in the name of Jesus. I bind the spirit of discouragement in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for bringing breath of a brand new breath into lungs to those who are discouraged and who have grown weary and you feel like you're not making a difference, God. I thank you, Father God, for just giving them energy, God, for giving them a new breath, Lord, to keep moving forward and to keep pushing forward for you, Father. And Lord, I pray right now for somebody that does not know you. Lord, whether they're sitting here or they're listening or they're in the parking lot, Lord, you have been working on their heart all morning, Father. And you've been calling them home. And Lord, this morning, I thank you, Father God, Lord, that you make yourself known to them like never before, Father. Lord, that they feel your presence. They know you have not forgot about them. And that you've been with them through it all, Father. And that they have a destiny and a future, Father. And Lord, I thank you, Father God, that you are a mighty God, Father. Lord, I thank you for the purpose and the destiny of this church. I thank you for every person you have placed in here strategically. And God, that you use their gifts and talents. If those talents have gone away and they have forgotten what they have been called to do, this morning I praise you, Father, for bringing new life into them and bringing new vision into their heart, Father. And Lord, we praise you and we thank you, Father God, for your goodness. God, I thank you for your mercy, Father. Lord, I thank you, God, for your provision. And God, most of all, I thank you for your love. And right now, I want to give somebody the opportunity. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, or maybe you have, but you've, you've fallen away. Maybe you grew up in church. This morning is your time to come home. 
Jesus is right here. He has not left. He's right where you left him. And he's waiting with open arms. And this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And all you have to do is repeat this simple prayer after me and believe it with all of your heart. And I'm going to ask everybody to join in. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in you. Save me. Set me free. Be the Lord of my life. And with your help, I'm going to live for you the rest of my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Come on, if